Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. you are all well witches. On today's episode I am joined by the wonderful Maya Toll, author of The Night School and Letting Magic In, to talk all about exactly that, letting magic into your own life. But to kick things off today we have our book review and today's book is The Witch's Tree by Eleanor Collins. This book was our read for June within Patreon in the Witches Institute. It was a real mixed bag in respect of feedback from myself and our witches. I loved reading this book. I absolutely inhaled it within a couple of days, so I can definitely recommend it. But for this review today, I'm splitting it into the dislikes and then the likes. Before we get into that, here is the book's blurb. Present day. When a love affair ends, Selena needs a retreat and the picture postcard slow cottage promises to be the perfect place. Selena settles in as spring arrives, but it isn't long before she hears the past whispering to her. Slow cottage is keeping secrets which refuse to stay hidden. 1682. Grace Cotter is happy with her work on the farm and learning the secrets of her grandmother's healing hands, though she still hopes for love. But these are dangerous times for dreamers and rumours can be deadly. One mismove and Grace's fate looks set. Separated by 300 years, two women are drawn together by a home bathed in blood. Grace Cotter's spirit needs to rest and only Selena can help her now. So let's get into the dislikes. Not huge dislikes, just mere grumbles. I didn't like many of the characters in the modern day and this was also echoed by other witches who read this book along with me. I wasn't a fan of the new friend that Selena makes. She is a purple-haired teacher who eats all her biscuits, asks her a ton of questions. When I was thinking on this, I had that thought seep in that if you don't like someone, it's usually because they mirror something back to you about yourself that you dislike about yourself. So what was it, Carly? The fact that she ate all the biscuits or that she asks loads of questions probably the biscuits. Selena's best friend is a little bit useless as a friend at times. I really feel like I'm battering this book. I don't mean to. There's a lot of good in this. 
So despite Selena going through it like a real heartbreak, her friend's repeat response is that she just needs to join her at the cocktail bar, which had Carolina, one of our Patreon witches, absolutely outraged at this response. Lisa, one of our other Patreon members, had a real mic drop moment on the Literary Witches Coven call in relation to Selena's career as a painter. It seemed throughout the book she is this prolific painter who conveyor belt produces masterpieces It was all highly romanticised and I think any painters reading this book would probably dash the book across the room at the unlikelihood of how her career pans out. My last rant on the book, which had me in stitches. So one of the characters in the book that Selena meets, she initially mistakes for a builder, handyman. And it was as though because this chap could like recite poetry and he liked a cup of Earl Grey tea, he couldn't possibly be the builder. And it turns out he wasn't, but it did have me in stitches that she was so shocked that he was so apparently cultured yet was the builder. It just, the generalisation, it got me. I, I do know a few builders and uh, yeah, one or two are quite cultured. I think that was all of my mere grumbles. Just generally, some of the modern day characters, I was meant to like them. I just wasn't too fond of them. But again, this was also the thoughts of other witches that read this along with me. So not just me that felt this way. Likes. Loved, loved, loved Grace. She was a beautiful character. Excuse the pun, she is the saving grace for this book. She makes the book a beautiful, kind soul. Her grandmother is a wonderful, defiant, rebellious woman. Grace's father is another lovely character in the book. I feel that their family were the best characters out of the entire book. It's hard to say much on this without giving away the twists and turns of the story of which there are many. One of the loves that I had for this book was the setting in the English countryside. Irene, one of our Litwitch Coven members, highlighted this as it really is the British countryside at its best. At the heart of this book is a ghost story and how these two women's lives across different centuries intertwine with one another. The ghost sections within the book were quite chilling and I can't say that I would have been as brave as Selena living in the cottage on my own with the ghostly incidents that occur. Despite all my grumbles with this book, I really loved it. I couldn't put it down. It's a real easy read. Great summer holiday book for some escapism. Not one of my favourite reads, but I definitely thoroughly enjoyed it. Before we get into our main episode today, I just want to let you know about our La Mass Gathering for Thursday 27th of July from 7.30pm BST over on the Witches Institute on Patreon. This is a night for us witches to gather, to talk Lamas plans and to delve into the topic of past lives. It is just £6 per month to sign up to Patreon, 
for tons of extra witchy content, such as extra podcast episodes, meditations, folklore retellings, grimoire pages, witchy gatherings, and access to our book club, The Literary Witches Coven. Patreon has been running for two years this August, so if you sign up now, you'll be able to access a ton of back content. You can cancel at any time with a click of a button, and I would love to see you there. There is a link in the show notes. But for now, join me after the break to talk all about letting magic in with Maya Toll. I am here with Maya Toll. Maya is the author of Letting Magic In, which was released just after summer solstice of this year, as well as the award-winning Wild Wisdom series and The Night School. Maya maps new pathways for seeing our lives, inspiring those who encounter her work to live with more purpose, more intention, more meaning, and maybe even more magic. Welcome to the show, Maya. Oh, thank you so much, Carly. I am thrilled to be here. Oh my goodness, you have no idea how thrilled I am that you're here. I'm going to be bringing <laughs> in my fangirl all this, all this interview. <laughs> I have your lovely book, Letting Magic In, in front of me. We recently spoke about it on the podcast, very recently, and I've already had lots of our witches con- like message and say wonderful things about the book. So honestly, what, what a beauty of a read. So thank you. <laughs> oh, you are so welcome. It's, you know... When you do a book about crystals or herbs or animals, um, if there's criticism, it it is about crystals or herbs or animals or your <laughs> belief system. But when you write a book about your life, when there's criticism, it's about your own choices and your own path. And so putting this out into the world was really a little bit scary. And um, just hearing that it's being so well received is truthfully a huge relief. <laughs> That's honestly nothing but good feels and good words have been spoken, honestly. So I'm so in love with it. Which actually leads me to my first question, because obviously you did decide to go down the memoir route, which is, you know, quite a, it's a very bold move. So what inspired <laughs> you to write your memoir? So this story, the, the story of when I went to Ireland has been percolating for quite some time in the back of my mind. I, I've been a writer since I was a kid, but mm-hmm. I've always felt like I was a writer without a story. You know, mm-hmm. I would write, like I'd write gorgeous descriptions of landscapes or a wonderful character description, but my characters never did anything. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was like, what happens next? Well, I don't know. Um, so this story of going to Ireland I I felt like, wow, I finally have a real story and it's mine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been there in the back of my mind, but writing a memoir that's actually readable is, is hard. 
much mm-hmm. harder than I, than I thought. And it took me like, truthfully through all the other books, um, to get the chops up, to be able to write the memoir. So the memoir has been on my desktop since 2016. And I would just dip into it and hit a wall, um, circle back around, realize I didn't know how to write dialogue, <laughs> take a little course, try again. So it's it's been dancing with me for a while. And I think, you know, beyond the writerly, I have, I finally have a story and I'm dying to see if I can tell it. Um, I, I also felt very alone during that period of my life. When you read the book, you'll see I was surrounded by wonderful, wonderful people, but they were just as baffled by some of the things I was going through as I was. And so I didn't feel like I had a big sister to kind of hold my hand and say, like, don't worry, it's okay. I've been through this. It gets a little wacky and scary sometimes, but you're going to pop out the other side and you're going to be great. And so I, I wanted to write a book that could be that big sister for other people that could, you know, kind of click on the flashlight, the torch, I think, as you say in England and, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. And just, just point out where the path markers are. So we all have different paths and most people reading this book will not take the same paths that I did, but I think that there are trail markers that are similar on all of our paths. And so if someone can illuminate those, then we know that we're not truly lost. I absolutely love and completely agree with what you said about the big sister feels or just the sister feels because reading this I genuinely there were so many you were so vulnerable and I can imagine that was a huge part of putting it out as well the courage to just put out certain aspects of your life but I genuinely felt reading it which is why I read it so quickly it was just so reassuring of it I think on the review I said it shows us that we are all we, we all really think and feel the same in many respects. And it was, it's that reminder within the book that I absolutely loved. And it did have that we are not alone sense to it. So I completely agree with, with the, what you did. It did have that effect most, most definitely. <laughs> oh, I'm so thrilled to hear that because, you know, I think that we're at a period in time where we're searching for our own identity so hard. We're, you know, we're putting words and labels and like we're collecting them. We have our little, our little gathering basket of, of our words and labels to describe ourselves. And as we pick those up um, and put them on, then someone else looks at us and says, oh, I'm not that, right? Like yeah. I don't identify with the word which, or I don't yes. identify with the pronoun they. Um, There's all these things that people then say, oh, well, that's not exactly me. And so, right? And so like our search for identity, I think in a lot of ways has separated us from other people. And so to hear that reading this book made you feel like, oh, wow. Under all these labels and all our trappings, we, we are at the same root causality. We're all seeking and searching and feeling into situations that can be difficult in similar ways. That makes me feel like I've done something um, that can truly be, be a help, that can be important for people who are feeling 
so alone. I mean, you see it in the the suicide rates, you know, where, yeah. right? We're more and more ourselves and we're more and more alone being ourselves. That is a huge topic that we've been talking about on the podcast. And I feel like that's why this book came along at such a good time as well. There were so many synchronicities to conversations as a collective that I've been having with many witches and not just witches, just people in general. You know, it really is um, a highlighted issue that's coming up for us. And yet we have technology and all these different forms of ways we should be able or we're supposed to in inverted commas become more connected yet that isn't how people are feeling so yes this book really for me like it just came up at such a time when those conversations were really being focused on within the kind of groups that I'm in and so on I just felt that you also you tackled some huge huge areas within your life around grief that I'm you know lots of people can relate to it was grief in many different forms nothing was sugar-coated the book was this wonderful blend of real gritty um you know bringing up real gritty issues that had come up for you but then there was also the beautiful writing the scene set and everything so it had this wonderful way of like you know you were there you're in the story it was it was beautiful but then you also you know were there with the fallout of different things that were happening to you so it was very clever I think the way that you balanced the two without making it does that make sense like I feel like you really balanced it and um got the message across the reassurance was there but it was also tackling some really tough stuff well thank you it's you know like I said I didn't have the chops in 2016 to write it and so I wrote and wrote and rewrote trying to find exactly that balance. Um, I I am not reading any more reviews, but I read a couple in the beginning and one person said that she felt like I held back. And I was was reading that and just laughing. I was like, really? No, I don't think you did at all. I would agree with that. No, I do not think you did at all. I was, you know, genuinely like hats off you've gone there and I'm and I and I and I resonate with this like this means something to me with my grief and experiences and I kind of won't give away too much because I really think people need to read the book but there were so many things that I was like yes I felt that I've been here many people will is collect you know different collective experiences of the same feeling so genuinely you went there like you you fully went there (laughs) I tried to fully go there, but I have to say one of the, you know, one of the difficulties is this is a period of my life that happened 20 years ago. And so um, I was counting on journals. I had eight journals from that time period. Um, I don't have a great memory. You know, my, my parents and my sister will be talking about remember when, and I'll be thinking, no, I don't remember when. So I I leaned heavily on those journals. And um, what was fascinating was that once I had like kind of the tail of a memory, I could rope it in, you Mm, know, you know, the, the journal gave me enough that I could sit quietly, close my eyes. Um, The journals were very emotional. Like I, I honestly, I was talking to a friend. I think we should burn these journals because they were they were really talk about dreck, um, just over overly dramatic and very emotional. But what was fabulous about it was it put me back in the emotions that I was in at that point in my life and from 
feeling the emotion again, I could kind of spool backwards and piece together the scene, the people who were there. Um, it gave me a, it gave me a window into my own memories, which I'm very grateful for because I couldn't have written the book without it. We talk a lot on the podcast about death and links to the craft and how we used to deal with death and so on. And we were talking about death doulas. So people that come in and, you know, look after you at the end of life and, you know, to make it more of a, an experience, you know, because it is a, it is a sacred experience. It's, it's a difficult time, but if you can kind of have any um, say over how it works out for you. And we have a few death doulas that I speak to. And one of the main things I've said when I obviously kind of get to that point of life, which sounds quite a macabre thought is, burn my diaries like do not let anybody read right <laughs> oh my goodness I couldn't I just couldn't go <laughs> so I'm late like they must be burned <laughs> They must be burned. And I have to tell you, when I was writing them, I thought they were so good. I was like, someday someone is going to want to publish my diaries. Woo, don't do that, please. Honestly, every now and again, I look back at mine just, just as a reassurance of, I'm so glad that I'm, I'm not there anymore. When I read one diary, it's like the same moaning about the same boy, ex-boyfriend or something. It's just completely irrelevant now and forgotten about. But yeah, it's always, a, it's always a good reality check to kind of remind you that hopefully you've learned a few lessons. Right? It's, oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And it also just, you know, this whole idea of a book of shadows being kind of like a witch's diary. Um, yeah. It's given me incredible insight into that. Like, you know, you watch a show like Charmed and they open up the big diary and all that comes out is wisdom. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really what would be in there. <laughs> Certainly not with mine either. I can relate, honestly. <laughs> Maya, there was a line in the book that felt particularly poignant that I noted was, I became the person I never knew I wanted to be, but perhaps always was. This really stood out from the book's introduction. So what would you say was most helpful on this journey? And what advice do you have for others who are trying to find their own calling, which can be a real, a real issue for a number of us to, to kind of get to grips with what, that, what ours might be if we even think that we have one and so on? Yeah, I, I thank you for asking that question because I absolutely love this topic. Um, I, I think that our modern culture um, has led us all to be a bit type A. We all are like a bit controlling, right? In how we and <laughs> how we run our lives because we, we see images of what's possible, whether it's on a show or on Instagram or TikTok. And we think, yeah. oh yeah, I, you know, I want that. And so we're really controlling with our head instead of driving with our heart. And the other thing that I think becomes inhibitory in finding our calling um, is we've, we have developed this idea that a calling is also a way to make a living. We've yes. yoked those two things together. And so, you know, we have two, two problems. We're driving with our head instead of our heart. Yes. We're pretty much cutting off our intuition by driving with our head. And we're seeking something that's financially viable. 
And I think that that those are the two huge stumbling blocks to finding this thing. Because what is a calling? You know, like what is this thing anyway? To me, it's something that makes your soul feel at home in your body. It's something that makes your heart feel at ease. It's a way of being in the world that feels so in alignment for you that all the other little annoying bits of life can just fall into like an easy place and an easy grace because you have this thing that you know you're going to do or be a part of that allows you to be fully yourself. And so my advice to anyone who feels a bit at, at loose ends is, first of all, you've got to get out of your head. That level of control and, and like the scene writing we do in our heads, you know, the <laughs> kind of the fantasy creation of like, this is who I'm going to be and this is what it's going to look like. Um, it is... That's amazing magic once you know where you're going for it to like visualize your goal and to create that like buildup of energy and direct it in a specific way. But when you're doing that before you even really know where you're going, <laughs> you know, like just from this head place of like, oh, this person on TikTok did this and therefore, wow, that, that must be something that would be really cool and popular. And maybe it's for me, right? That's, then you start like sending your energy down channels that um, aren't helpful. You're not calling yourself home. Instead, you're like bleeding your energy out. So I think starting by like calling yourself home, reel your energy back in. Yes. Right. Yes. Just feel for all those sticky webs and pockets where you've sent energy out in a direction that's, that's not feeding you. It's not nurturing you. So if it's with that ex-boyfriend that yeah. you wrote about in your journal, call that energy home. You know, if it's lingering in a conversation you had with your mom, if it's in, you know, the thing you majored in at university that just didn't work out, call all that energy home. You know, this is a lovely, easy ritual of just kind of feeling into the energy threads around you. Sometimes you won't even know what it attaches to. Doesn't matter. Mm. Just reel it back in. Right. I think sometimes we overthink these things. We're like, oh, I feel something kind of tugging at my shoulder, but I don't know what it is. And then, you know, we go into therapy for three years to try to figure out what's tugging yes. at us instead of just being like, you know what? I'm cutting that cord. I'm reeling that energy back in, whatever the heck it is. I obviously don't need it. Absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. I, I, there's one thing someone mentioned to me earlier. It's actually one of um, Shannon, one of our lovely ladies that came on the podcast, which I really loved, was also listening to those little wisps where, you know, when you'll be in the shower or you just be doing something completely random, you know, just quite happily on your own. And it's a really strange idea that comes up and just doing it just out of curiosity, not because you think there's anything that's going to come out of it. It might just be go and have a game of darts or something, you know, just something yes. really 
random and it's you you know and I think sometimes we get these weird little things that come up for us and we question and overthink why where it's just we'll just try you know why don't you just have a go it might just be I really agree with that calling your your you know calling your yourself home um <clears throat> I feel like once you've done that then you know things re randomly do come up for you and you're right it doesn't have to be part of your employment I think that like you say society is so geared to that now it is such a huge trend it might be that your your thing is making cakes and you're wonderful at it and it makes everybody happy that eats them genuinely exactly. like I've gone through times in my life where it's just little it's things like that and you know I think you're right it, it but the calling yourself back home absolutely love that that is definitely something I could do with doing myself <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a fabulous start and then you know following those wisps is exactly the right next step and I think that that some of following those wisps is you have to have no expectations like if you suddenly yes. feel like you need to ha go have a game of darts it might have nothing to do with the darts like it yes. could be the route that you walk to get to the bar the pub that has the darts that like you see something along that route or you happen to run into an old friend or you know you don't know what the reason for the instinct is so you have to just open yourself up and yeah. allow your intuition the non-thinking head part of yourself to lead the way and and see where you land Spirit always has a funny way of sending you around the houses to come to something that's for you, I believe, as well. Like those little chance encounters, little things that it tells you to have a go at, to do, those little wisps. And you're right, it, it, it's probably not about the darts. I've had lots of little messages like that. And it's, yes, like you say, someone that you meet or somebody that, you know, that it leads to something else. So it's, it, it, it's really kind of a case of, yep, yeah, call back your pieces see what wisps come up because the more whole that you feel as well like you say when your energy is your own the more that you tap into those which actually there was something I wanted to ask you because you talk a lot a lot about intuition in the book so in terms of intuition this was something I loved hearing you talk about because <laughs> you were like the signs like I need another sign oh I can so many of us can relate to this and I remember you talked a lot about that at different sections of the book. In regards to intuition, how, how do you feel that we can strengthen it? Yeah, so I think that, you know, one of the, the best things we can do to strengthen our intuition is to use it, first of all. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, if we're always questioning it, if we're always saying like, oh, well, you gave me one sign, but I need three more to be absolutely certain. And mm, how about another one? you know, we begin to doubt our own internal compass. So I think that you have to use it. You have to step into it and, you know, begin to uh, build the confidence that when you get a tug, something does happen. It might not be what you expect, but something does happen. So I think that that's, that's thing number one. But the other thing that I think is very important is to start to find how intuition resonates within your body. Yes. Not your brain, your body. Because our brains are are so chatty. They always have a zillion things to say and it's very hard to fish out from all those things what's intuition and what's just thought. Now you will get better at it over time, 
But I think it's easier to start by tuning into the body because the body's not chatting at you in quite the same way. And your, you know, your response to body knowledge is different than your response to brain knowledge. So whenever I think I know something, I try to find it in my body. And if I can only find it in my brain, then I let it go. Then it's, you know, like if my brain suddenly like, like, hey, go to the coffee shop. That could be my brain just trying to make me feel like I have an intuition because wouldn't it feel great to be intuitive and, you know, march off to the coffee shop and have something fabulous happen. Um, So if I get this like pull towards the coffee shop, that's just in my brain, I go, "Eh, not so sure about that. But if I feel around in my body and I feel like there's a cord, like pulling my knee toward the coffee shop, you know, coming from my gut, then I'm like, ooh, this is something. So using your body as a compass instead of your mind lets you start to feel the difference between like a whole body knowing and your brain chattering. Because it's it's gonna feel different for each of us. It's really hard, I think, for anyone to give us instruction on, you know, when intuition comes in and it always feels like this. Um, but but what I find for me is that intuition is pre-thought. So for instance, um, when I got into university, I called my mom on the phone and I, it was one of those moments. I just reached for the phone and, and I said, I said, Hey mom, um, can you have lunch with me? I'm going to go to the mailbox and get my acceptance letter and then we'll need to celebrate. And she was like, I remember wait, that part. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was like, wait, what you're going to the, wait, have you gotten the mail yet? And I, I said, <laughs> I said, no, I know it's there. And I didn't, I wasn't sitting around the house thinking, oh, the mailman just came and now my acceptance letter is in the mailbox. I had this sudden urge to pick up the phone. Yeah. And I and I just did. And the words just kind of came out of my mouth. And so for those of you who do ritual, you know that moment where, you know, you have a vague idea. You're like, okay, I'm going to to walk a circle in the woods and um, set a sacred space and, you know, there's this ritual I'm, I've been thinking about. And all of a sudden, something starts coming out of your mouth that you didn't plan, right? You're, yeah. you're kind of walking in a circle and all of a sudden you're praising the four elements and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? So that's that feeling, that kind of bubbling up from within that the, you're reaching for the phone before you even know why you're reaching for the phone. Um, so pay attention to those moments and see how they feel in your body, where they're coming from, that kind of pre-thought, pre-verbal nudge. It might lead to words, right? It might go quickly from um, you're walking the circle to you're chanting something that you didn't even realize was in your heart. Um, yeah. My my partner just left and we have a dog who uh, my my friends call my partner her support human because without <laughs> without him, she's quite at a loss. She's, she's running in circles and barking as he drives down the driveway. Oh. Um, if you're hearing yipping in the background. No, no, he's not at all. No, but it's lovely to hear that as well. Anyway. 
<laughs> so yes, her support human just left her. So her intuition's going haywire. Um, but yeah, those we deserve dogs. They're wonderful. <laughs> so you know those moments that are that are pre-verbal that are pre-thought even if they lead to thought pay attention to those pay attention to sensations in your body um also like going back to that idea of calling your energy home and feeling into any cords that are attached to you that's a great way to start working with your intuition you know i i like to scan my body just first standing still and just feeling and then i use my hands like I'm kind of doing a cat bath, um, yeah, yeah. right? You know how the cats like lick their paw and then rub it themselves. So I imagine even if I, even if I can't truly feel it, I imagine that I can feel my aura and I act like a little cat and I just paw at it, feeling for anything that feels off. And when yeah. I feel something, I believe myself. <laughs> I yes. don't let my brain spiral into what is this goofy thing you're doing and you can't really feel your own aura. I don't, I don't allow any of that. I just got to say, okay, in this moment, I'm stepping into the willing suspension of disbelief brain because I know that my brain can get very up in arms about how irrational some of my little magical practices are. Um, so I just tell my brain it's, you know, it needs to go sit in the corner and then I do my thing. And if I feel something, I believe myself. If I have to pluck something out of my aura, I pluck it out. If I need to use my fingers and snip something, I snip it. And whatever that feeling is, I just go with it. So that allows you to start feeling into your, your surroundings, your aura, your body, and see where, like, where things are landing for you, what's hitting you in different parts of yourself. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Talking of um, magic and so on, you in your write in your book, you obviously write about searching for magic throughout your life. So, are there any kind of times that you might be able to pinpoint where and how you finally found it? <laughs> so, okay, I have to ask because I, I do ask everyone: Can you light a candle with your mind? Oh, I loved that bit so much. <laughs> I really felt like, why can't I light a candle with my mind? Who can do that? No, I can't, Maya. I've been working on it since reading the book. You know, this has been an obsession of mine for years. And like, I'm like, okay, is there someone out there who can actually do this? Am I the it's only so one who hasn't been able to figure out this magic? How many of us have stared at a paper clip being like, okay, just move a little bit. A tiny bit to the left, just move, right? Yes. So, right? I think that we, um, 
we have seen so many shows and movies and read so many books where people can do things that are absolutely fantastical. And so when we can't do those things, we start to say, well, does magic exist at all? Is it all fiction <laughs> or is everyone else doing this and I have no magic, right? Am I, am I the one that's left out of this party? So um, it took me a very long time, maybe longer than most people to realize that there is magic in the world and you cross over a certain line and you end up in fictional magic, which is not the same as real world magic. So how do we, how do we find that real world magic? And the yes. way that I think about it, first of all, I, I feel like nature itself is so magical. And, you know, just stepping out into the woods, stepping into a creek, um, you know, allowing yourself to have these moments where you disconnect from the human world opens your eyes to magic that's going on all the time um, that, that we are just simply unaware of. And you could say to yourself, well, that magic is actually science. Those things all have, you know, ex explanations. Um, I don't think that science and magic are so totally different. For me, I think that things that happen that are outside of our everyday experience are magical. Quantum mechanics is absolutely magical. The space-time continuum, magical, right? Yes. I mean, if we can fold time and science is showing that this can happen, that's magical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that science is coming to understand some things that we have considered magical doesn't bother me at all. To me, it just says that, um, you know, we are coming into wholeness and we're moving out of the extremes of the human experience. And we're coming into a centered place where we can both acknowledge the, the mystery and the wonder of things and still seek natural cause. I don't think those two things are exclusive. Yeah. So that's yeah. one thread of, of the magic conversation. The other thread of the magic conversation is the thread of things being energy and sifting down to things being material. So everything is energy and science has showed us this. Everything is vibration, including our bodies, but that vibration gets denser and denser and denser until it becomes physical. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about the kind of magic that we might be doing with a candle or, um, you know, when we're working a circle, what we're doing is we are accessing the energy while it's still in a vibrational state. Yeah. before it has sifted down into the physical because it's actually, it's harder to move things, right? Once they have mass, it's yeah. easier to move things when they are energy. So for me, a magical practice has to do with tapping into energy before it becomes mass, mm. right? So that, so that we are um, sending our will our intention into the energetic spheres so that when things manifest in the physical, we have tweaked them in the direction yes. we'd like them to go. 
absolutely love that description of it. Absolutely. The, the thought form before it becomes the mass is a brilliant way to look at it. I wondered, obviously, the book was focused on a period of time, you know, quite a way back. But what would you say now looks like magic for you in life today? Mm. You know, for me, I, I am at a time in my life, I'm, I'm in my early 50s, um, where a lot of the things that I put in motion mm -hmm. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, are coming to fruition. And it, it's truly, like, for me, it's truly magical because one of the things my teacher in Ireland used to say is, you can put the magic in motion, but you can't control the timing. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. And, and so I have found that to be so incredibly true. And it's really easy because of that to step into a place of disbelief. Like, oh, well, mm -hmm. I, you know, I tried to make this happen and it didn't happen. Um, and sometimes it just, it, it really takes a time span. So I'm sitting, looking out over the woods um, in a house that I can only call my dream house having written, I think we're up to seven books. I think book seven, book seven comes out in September. Um, and it's actually a, a journal for spiritual seekers. I, oh, exciting. I, I am very, very excited about it because one of the things that I realized going through all my old journals is that when you keep all of your um, healing and magical thoughts in your journal, then you have to dig through pages and pages and pages of drac to find, you know, the little nugget you wrote about how to use your tarot cards or, yeah. right, or the recipe you wrote for the cup of tea that actually does help you to go to sleep. Um, so I started to think about what kind of a journal could support those of us who um, are creating and crafting a magical life and need to find things again quickly, easily, mm -hmm. not sitting there trying to remember, was it around solstice of yeah. 2021 <laughs> that I wrote that? And then like digging back through pages and pages. Um, so I came up with a system um, based on an artist's perpetual journal that yeah allows you to keep a journal where you're you're kind of putting things in their place right in the journal. Um, so I'm I'm incredibly excited for this to come out because I, I got mine just a few days ago, my my author's copy. And I'm so excited to start using it. Like when I have an insight about tarot, it just goes in the tarot section. So when I want to find it, I know where to find it again. Um, so yeah, so that's coming out in, in the fall. And this memoir, Letting Magic In, that I've been working on since 2016 just came out. So, you know, a lot of these things that I put in motion a while ago, I mean, one very funny thing about this property, um, when I lived in Ireland, when I was studying with an herbalist, witchy woman there, um, there are many old cottages in Ireland where people died during the famine and yeah. they're like the roofs are left to collapse and the, the stone walls just remain and they just dot the landscape and you know they're 
they're a memorial to, to the famine, but of course my overactive imagination attached to these cottages and thought, wouldn't it be absolutely amazing to have a little stone cottage like this without the roof where you set up like a, a, an outdoor dining room where you could have dinner parties, which I realize is not the purpose of these cottages, but it's just kind of where my mind went. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love um, that, I love that. Right, so I'm here in America where we, we don't have the, um, the old stone cottages the way you have them in, in the UK. And um, I've, I've had this dream for 20 years of having my little old stone walls that I can build a dining room in. So we bought a property in, in the mountains and um, there had been a house here in the 1800s that is gone except for the cornerstones and the chimney. And wow. so I, I have my, my little stone um, cottage walls for my outdoor dining room and the chimney's intact. Wow. Someday, someday I'm going to put a pizza oven in that chimney and we're going to have the best parties. <laughs> I absolutely, absolutely love that. It's so funny how you thought of that at that time. And now that's come to fruition. You actually made me wonder if you'd ever come across the story. I'm sure you did obviously being in Ireland and obviously the work you were doing on the, her the herbalism side. Did you ever hear the tale of a real life witch woman, wise woman, fairy woman, uh, Biddy Early. I did hear Biddy Early's tale. And of course, I'm like, the name is totally familiar. And I'm going, and I don't remember it at all. <laughs> no, honestly, my journals. Yeah, it's quite a long one. <laughs> Just I wondered, obviously, being over there because she was obviously such an infamous wise woman, herbalist from, you know, around the potato famine times in Ireland. So it's a really good. Um, wonderful woman like she gave zero I'm gonna I'm gonna swear we've already talked about this Maya she gave zero fucks basically <laughs> she had like many husbands she was a real rebellious wonderful Irish woman with many stories to tell so we recently talked about her um within Patreon and I just thought oh my goodness to actually be there in Ireland and you know all of the the land and you know working on herbalism what an experience honestly it was an amazing experience. And it was also like, if I'm going to be honest, uh, a lonely yeah. experience, you know, it was, yeah. it was beautiful and it was difficult both. I think mm -hmm. that we, um, we romanticize these things. I'm, I mean, I romanticized it before I, I went, um, I was there for a year and I was living in the middle of nowhere on, on a stud. Um, the horses were long gone. It was just uh, me and my teacher and not even a cat <laughs> um, and, and the gardens. Um, and I didn't have a car or a bicycle. It was almost a two hour walk into town. And at that point, uh, your mobile phone would not do international calls. Yeah. So um, I had no contact with my my friends and family back home um my teacher would not let me use the internet so um <laughs> i just had to walk into town to to go to a computer cafe to use the internet so it was an amazing time and i i do credit that level of loneliness yes with yeah with yeah. you know opening me up to communicating with um, the world around me, you know, with the the plants and 
the elements and things like that. Because when you're communicating with other humans, um, that noise drowns out your ability to hear the more subtle vibrations. You know, I think yes. we we think of communication as as human language. And so we're not open to other forms of communication, things that yeah. we feel in our body, things that we smell, things that, you know, we hear, things that we see. Um, we're always focused on language. And it was really necessary for me to put that down in order to find something else. I don't think we can kind of not talk about how those journals really have been like you say you know they've changed your life at this this time I mean I wanted to ask you in regards to journaling it's something we discussed a lot on the podcast obviously there are a number of excerpts from your past journals that are part of you know work towards the memoir do you think writing has a role in helping us to discover who we are in the world oh absolutely you know, I think that we keep secrets from ourselves. And mm. so if you can find a way to um, tell yourself your own secrets. And for me, writing writing is one of those things. You know, I always kind of start very um, controlled. Back to that control word. You know, I always start having some idea of, um, how I want what I'm writing to read. But if I keep going, and sometimes I'll set a timer so that I can't quit when I'm just at the surface level. If I keep going, eventually I put down my own pretense. I put down yes. my own ego. And I start to get to the, the parts of my psyche that are wanting to float up. Yeah. You know, I get to the place where I can surprise myself. Um, I do think a timer is important for this because it's super easy to stop writing after you've written down the surface stuff. But if you have a timer set for, you know, 10 or 12 minutes and you've only written for three and you're like, oh, I've got to keep going. Then you dig a little deeper to find the, the next level. I love that. And I also find... I, I've tried that. I've also tried the morning pages from Julia Cameron's yes. way, yep. because where I, well, I felt, I really agree with you, I have those kind of surface level and there's certain things that, you know, your subconscious doesn't want to get into. It's almost a bit like a kind of daily shadow work in a sense, isn't it? Because once you push yourself to go past that, everything's great in the surface level stuff. If you've got that timer or if you've got the expectation of, you know, three pages or whatever, you really do dig deep and you know you've got to kind of come out with more and that's when you hit the gold and it's like, well, I needed to get that out or it will lead on to something else. Or, you know, later on in the day, it might be something that kind of is a realisation that's linked to what you were journaling or, you know, some sort of thought process has been going on behind the scenes as you're just carrying on throughout the day. Um, but I love that with the timer, yeah. absolutely. And I think what you just said is so important because like sometimes the writing is the beginning of a process and um, the process continues even after you're done writing. So it's mm -hmm. right. It's like you've kind of dug around and loosened the soil 
And yes. it might be when you're, you know, having tea later in the day that whatever is buried actually comes up. It might not come up right away, but if you know that you're kind of loosening the soil and creating um, a container within which you feel safe for like within yourself to allow this thing to surface, then, then it will. Absolutely. So it's kind of writing on those problems that you're facing, writing on those fears, because not, you know, because I, I know there can be that, well, why am I doing this? Why am I writing it out? But getting it down, highlighting it all, because like you say, it's like a bit like the magic comes later. Where it's like, oh, an epiphany or well, what if you tried this or, you know, yeah, it's, I find that it's really interesting to see what comes out of it. Also dreams as well. You know, if you're journaling before bed, it's really interesting to see what might arise that could be linked to what you've journaled on as well. Absolutely. And, you know, having a record of dreams um, can be really interesting later because you can sometimes from a distance see the symbolism differently or understand where your mind was going. Um, and, and, you know, the other, the other piece of the writing that I think is like something we don't really think about, but is equally important. Sometimes it's just very, um, necessary for our health and well-being to get things out to take things yeah. from the inside of yourself and put them on the outside you know yeah. like like something that that is just poisoning you thoughts that are really vitriol and that are not supporting your health your well-being um your energy your work in the world getting those out literally out um is so important. And when like I hit those types of, of thoughts and feelings, then I burn those pages. You know, I want that stuff gone, gone, gone. Not because I'm embarrassed that I might like read it again later or that somebody else might read it again later, but because um, when there's something that's toxic to me that I've written on the page, I then need to turn that into a ceremony or ritual of release because like there's that next step of, of truly saying like, this is out of me. I'm not taking it back in. I'm yeah. not going to chew the, my cut on this all day. This is like nasty poisonous stuff and it needs to get gone. And so, you know, I'll, I'll burn. Um, sometimes I'll bury, like just give things mm -hmm. back to the earth. Mm -hmm. Um I'll rip up the paper into tiny little shards and sprinkle them in the river. I mean, sometimes there's a particular element I feel like I need to call in that moment, depending on what it is I'm getting gone. Um, it's not yeah. always fire. Like sometimes it feels like things need to go to earth. Sometimes it feels like they need to go to water. Um, if they need to go to air, then I, then I burn it, you know, so that it goes up in smoke. So it, the fire and the air get kind of linked together. That's it. This Lamas, there's going to be a huge bonfire outside. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be dancing around the flames. Diaries in about exes and all these troubles. That yeah, that's going to be me, Maya. <laughs> Many witches across the across the lands will be doing that. This Lamas, I'm sure. <laughs> you know what's really funny is like you know the old image of of witches dancing by the bonfire, and it's like you know. Um, <laughs> 
are they dancing for the devil or, or what? No, they're <laughs> dancing from pure joy of release of like burning all the <laughs> shit they don't need anymore. <laughs> we have an ongoing joke in there with a little group of our witches in the Patreon about, you see all these women in these wonderful pictures and photos dancing around these, you know, fires in, with all these witchy aesthetic things. But they're always saying, but you know, have they got their flame proof nighties on? You know, it's a real fire hazard. <laughs> we had a huge giggle about that about you've got to get your flame proof nighty on for those fire festivals you know it could all go up in flames so, yeah. it could all go up in flame <laughs> I was I was on um, a solstice call for the summer solstice and like this thread started about you know oh a bonfire for the summer solstice and I I just couldn't help it I made like the puking gesture you know where you stick your <laughs> finger <laughs> I was like, like, oh no. Um, but I, I really feel like this idea that everything needs a bonfire. Like, yeah, can, yeah. can we can we move beyond everything needs a bonfire, please? I mean, Bury first of everything. all, few of us have flame-proof nighties. And let's face it, if they're flame-proof, they are not organic. So yeah. uh, we've got some issues here. Um but like beyond that, I feel like I, a part of what I love about the witchy part of my soul is that she is deeply thoughtful about mm-hmm. um, the natural world and how I interact with the natural world, right? And yeah. so when I'm using the elements I really want to use them thoughtfully. We don't need any more fire at summer solstice. Summer solstice is the height (laughs) of the fire element. We don't need to drive that. We need to balance it. Go jump in a water hole. (laughs) I absolutely agree with you. I'm not somebody, to be honest, I don't even light a fire myself because I know it would all end in tragedy. Honestly, like I'm not, I'm not somebody you should be leaving with flames and so on. But I love coming back to the nature aspect. Oh my goodness, you really have my heart because I adore spy, spiders. I would literally, if I'm in someone's house and they're complaining about spider, I will relocate it elsewhere in the house since I discovered that house spiders they need to live in a house. You know, I I, I love them. Um, but the way that you kind of channeled some of the different animals through the book and they're on the front cover as well I really loved that because like you know nature really resonates with me and it was just nice those little aspects throughout and the theme I you know I I feel like the more we can weave ourselves into the tapestry of the world around us the tapestry that is bigger than the human experience yeah, um, yeah the more we can come into a sense of the world is a magical place and us as magical creatures within this magical space. So I am always um, weaving my energy threads with the energy threads of the trees and the plants and the animals and the rocks and the stones and the crystals and just reminding myself that we're, we're all one. Yeah, absolutely. 
Maya, oh my goodness. If honestly, this is wonderful. I think I, I've still got about 3,000 things I would love to ask you, but we will <laughs> never get home. We will never ever uh, finish up. You were just honestly so inspiring. There's so much I've learned from the book, but also so much from this, you know, just, just getting to speak with you today. Honestly, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, Carly, it's been absolutely delightful. Um, thank you so much for having me and and for reading Letting Magic In. Um, I just, I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm.